We are currently in the morning studying the book of Revelation together, so if you would take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5, which is the continuation of the vision that we looked at in chapter 4 last week. As you're turning there, it is um, once again my prayer that if we are Christians, we would find tremendous comfort and assurance in this passage. But if not, if you do not yet believe in Jesus alone as your Savior from sin, I also pray that the Lord would use this passage through his Holy Spirit uh, to show you that there is one who is worthy and mighty to save you from all of your sin, no matter how black your sin may be, and to give you eternal life. And so that is my prayer for us this morning, that for believers, and I would assume the vast majority of us in this congregation, in this room, confess Christ as our Savior, that we would find comfort. But if there are those here who do not know him, those online as well, uh, that you would come face to face this morning with the great Savior, the powerful Savior, who is able to save you fully from all of your sins. Revelation chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God for, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is a beautiful vision. As I said just a moment ago, it started 
in chapter 4. And it continues on here in chapter 5. And it is the most uh, glorious, spectacular worship service that we could ever imagine. We are given, in the very word of God that does not change, we are given a glimpse into heaven. Now this glimpse is not given to us to merely satisfy our curiosities. A lot of us wonder, what is heaven really like? What's it going to be like when, when God takes me from this earth and, and I am in his presence? What's that going to be like? God doesn't give us this vision to, to just kind of satisfy your curiosity. Christian, he, he gives you this to comfort you. You see, good theology should comfort us. If you were here last Sunday morning, you, you remember what we looked at in chapter 4. We, we are given this image of, of God sitting on an immovable throne. And all before him, everything around him is as calm as a sea of glass. And in a world that is filled with chaos and turbulence and uncertainty, a world that very much seems to be spiraling out of control, we need to hear this. God is on his throne. Nothing surprises him. Nothing shocks him. Nothing can thwart his purposes. And and that's extremely comforting to me, to see that vision in chapter 4 and to say, this is who God is. This is who my God is. This is who our God is. And now we come to chapter 5, and once again, it is for our comfort. It is for your assurance, Christian. We we too often view the book of Revelation as this impossible-to-understand puzzle. It's a mystery, all these numbers, all these creatures, and we go, I I give up. God didn't give us this book to frustrate us. God didn't give us this book to, to make us confused. God gave us this book to bring us great comfort in the midst of the world in which we live. And so this morning, we're going to see again the continuation of this vision, and we're going to look at it in three parts. First of all, there is the sorrow, and then there is the Savior, and then there is the singing. And I want you to notice the progression that is here. It it starts with sorrow or sadness. It, It moves to the Savior, and it ends up, it leads to singing. The book of Revelation is symbolic in nature. It's it's what we call apocalyptic literature. It's not always to be taken literally. For example, when we read in verse 1 about God's right hand, and when we read about God sitting on a throne, we, we shouldn't picture God with a body like we have, sitting on some kingly chair with a book in his right hand. Instead, these things are symbolic. These these things are designed to teach us something about God. Children, God's right hand is a symbol of his power. God is all-powerful. God's throne is a symbol that he is the king who rules over all things. 
But then there's this scroll. What is this scroll all about? In that day, there, there were no books as we know them. They didn't have these kinds of things. What they had were scrolls, which was a, a piece of parchment paper or some kind of other material that would serve as a book. And, and because scrolls were typically quite long, they would take them and they would roll them up. And, and because they usually contained sensitive material, they would seal those scrolls with a wax seal so that only someone who was authorized could open and break the seal and open the scroll. Now you go, well, what does this scroll symbolize? I, I get the right hand of God, it's about his power. I get the throne, it's about his sovereign rule. What about the scroll? Well, notice what verse 1 says. That there's writing on both sides of this scroll. This is a hint, this is a clue as to what this scroll is. It's written on both sides. It's, it's complete. It's covered with writing. Nothing is missing. There's no fill in the blanks. Very simply, this is a scroll that contains everything about God's eternal plan. Everything is here. One author writes this. He says, from the falling of a hair from your head to the latest world-shaking events reported in today's news, everything is on this scroll. The destinies of every atom in the earth as well as the mighty galaxies of the cosmos are all on this scroll. Now we need to pause and, and we need to remember that this is, this is again designed to comfort us. Christian, God knows all things. He's in control of all things. He's not surprised by anything. And what this means is that nothing in your life happens to you by chance. All things come from his hand. And so there you have it. This, this scroll contains everything about God's eternal plan. Well, at this point, an angel asks a question. Verse 2. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. The, the question means, who is worthy to execute this plan? Who is worthy to carry out God's eternal plan? And notice the answer in verse 3. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Children, no one is worthy to open this scroll. No one is found in all creation that can open this scroll. No one is found who can carry out God's eternal plan. And John hears this and he begins to weep. He begins to cry. Children, why do you think John is crying? John is crying because he wonders if this scroll isn't opened, what's going to happen to God's plan? What's going to happen to God, God's purposes in this world if no one is found worthy to open this scroll? And, and we need to feel the weight of this this morning. If this scroll isn't opened, God's plan will not be fulfilled. And brothers and sisters, if, if God's plan is not fulfilled, mankind, and that means all of us, will be hopelessly lost. And so you see, the, you see the seriousness of this. 
If, if this scroll isn't opened, there's no salvation. If this scroll isn't opened, there, there's no rescue from sin. There's no rescue from judgment. If this scroll isn't opened, life ultimately has no meaning and no purpose. That's why John weeps. Because if no one is found who can execute or carry out this plan, everything in this world is meaningless. 1971, John Lennon wrote his famous song, Imagine. Many of you have heard this song before. Here's the opening line to the song. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Now, Lenin may have thought that that was uh, very liberating. But in reality, how horrible that would be. Imagine, to use the words of Lenin, imagine that there's no one who can carry out God's eternal plan. Imagine that eternity is not real. Imagine that there is no heaven. Imagine that this life is all there is. Imagine the, the hopelessness that you would feel. Imagine the despair that would be in your heart. I would be crushed. I would weep with John. You know, in my years in the ministry, I've, I've done a lot of funerals. Almost all of them have been funerals for believers. And, and even when you, do a, when you do a Christian funeral, and, and almost all of you have been to funerals before, but when you do a Christian funeral, the great thing is that, that even in the midst of sorrow and sadness and loss, the believing loved ones have joy because they know where their loved one is. But to be around unbelievers in the face of death, and, and maybe you've experienced this before too, to be around the unbeliever in the face of death, it's just hopelessness. It's just despair. When, when no one is found who is worthy to open the scroll, that's the feeling here. It's hopeless. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. And John weeps. I'm thankful that this passage doesn't end in verse 4. I'm thankful that, that sin doesn't have the last word. The second part of this passage is all about the Savior. John is weeping. One of the 24 elders comes to John in verse 5 and he says, Weep no more. Stop crying. He says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He can open the scroll and its seven seals. John, there's no reason to weep. And I say to you this morning, there's no reason to weep. There is hope, there is meaning, there is purpose. There is one who is worthy. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49. He is the root of David, Isaiah chapter 11. And children, do you know who this is? Do you know who is the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is worthy. 
He is the one, as we are told here, who has conquered. That word conquered means to prevail or to be victorious. Jesus, like a a lion with great power and great strength, has been victorious over our sin, over death, over Satan, over hell. He has prevailed over our great enemies. He is the one who is worthy. He is the worthy one. Now I know how unworthy I am. But it's not about me, thankfully. It's about him. It's about him. It's not about the blackness of your sin. It's not about all the things that that you may have done in the past that you regret and now you feel there's no way that, that God could forgive you. He is a mighty savior. He has overcome sin and death and hell. And he has won the victory. And how has he done that? Well, at this point, John looks and he sees something, sees something that that would surprise us. We've just heard from one of the 24 elders that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, that he is the one who has conquered and been victorious. Having heard that, what would we expect John to see? We would expect John to to turn and, and maybe see a lion Maybe see a a mighty warrior. Maybe see someone or something with, with great power and great strength. But John looks and children, what does John see? He sees a lamb. A lamb that looks like it's been killed. Now that doesn't make any sense, does it? First verse five says he's a lion. Verse 6 says he's a lamb. These are not two animals that we would normally put together, would we? How, how can this victorious one be both a lion and a lamb? One is a symbol of power and strength. The other is a symbol of gentleness and meekness. But brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus is both. He is both a lion. He is powerful and mighty and majestic. And he is a lamb. He is sacrificial. He went as a sheep to the slaughter. He was our substitute. And and listen, this image of Jesus as a lamb is a very important one. Almost 30 times, 30 times in the book of Revelation, John refers to Jesus as a lamb. All throughout the Bible, we see the image of the lamb. In the Old Testament, you remember that, that lambs were used for sacrifices. Think of Genesis chapter 22 where where God provides a a lamb as a substitute for Isaac. Think of the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus where a, a lamb was offered as a substitute so that God's people would be saved from judgment. Think of all the blood that was spilled over all of those decades and centuries. All the blood from all of those lambs. But all of that blood was insufficient. It could not pay for sin. Hebrews 10 says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But all of those sacrifices and all of that blood and all of that lamb imagery in the Old Testament 
was pointing ahead to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the good news for us this morning. The good news is that Jesus overcame your sin. He served as your substitute. He took the punishment that you deserved. He saved you from the judgment that you deserved. And so rather than weeping today, rather than than remaining in your sin, rather than having no hope, if we are Christians, we rejoice with great joy. You know, I, I can't tell you that God's will for your life is that you will be healthy and wealthy and successful. I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is, is better than earthly health. It's better than earthly wealth. It's better than earthly success. I can tell you on the authority of God's word that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you embrace him as your savior, all of your sins are washed away. All of them. And you have a heavenly inheritance, as we heard earlier from 1 Peter, that will never be taken away from you. You don't have to remain in your hopelessness. You don't have to weep because there is one who is worthy. There is one who has paid the price for you. There is one who has rescued you from your sin. Notice what else we are told here about Jesus. Verse 6 tells us he has seven horns. That's a, children, that's a symbol that Jesus is a mighty Savior. He's not a weak Savior. He can't just save, you know, a few people. He's mighty. He also has seven eyes, which are the, the seven spirits of God that symbolizes that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's the perfect Savior. He's the only Savior. You have in him all that you need for your salvation. All that you need. Do you know him as your Savior? Are you trusting him as the one who has defeated sin and death? Are you going through life with a mistaken idea that somehow you can make a contribution to help him save you? You cannot. As Jonathan Edwards so famously said, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is what? Our sin. Do not trust yourself. Do not look to yourself. Look away from yourself and look to Christ. He is the worthy one. We are called to believe in him. And parents, I want to speak to you this morning for just a moment Those of you who have children in the home still, you have a very high calling. You have a very important calling. It's wonderful. It really is a blessing to have our children in worship with us. As parents, though, you you have a greater responsibility in a sense, and that is the responsibility to teach the gospel to your children. Now, yes, as parents, you have other responsibilities. You have a responsibility to provide food and shelter for them. You have a responsibility to to provide a safe environment, a loving environment for your children. You have the responsibility to love them and to care for them and to provide an education for them. You have the responsibility to protect your children. But we must never forget 
And we must never abdicate or farm out our responsibility to others. And that is the great responsibility that we have to point them to Jesus. Now certainly they hear that hopefully at school, at church, but moms and dads don't forget you play such an important role in continuing to tell your children there is one who is worthy. Worthy to save you. Worthy to give you eternal life. Believe in him and he will wash away all of your sins. John feels the weight of sin, the weight of hopelessness, the weight of a meaningless life apart from one who is worthy to open this scroll. But he is pointed to the Lamb of God. He is pointed to the one who is both the conquering king and the sacrificial substitute. The one who is risen, the one who is ascended, the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. John sees him. I pray that you see him this morning. And that you say to yourself, what a, what a beautiful Savior he is. What a worthy Savior he is. He's done all of this for me. And it leads naturally to singing. Singing is, is often the response of God's people when they have been delivered. That's, that's one of the reasons we sing. Sunday morning and Sunday night. The, the, the worship service is, is not simply a time to come hear a sermon. It is a time to lift our voices together as one. And to thank him for who he is and to thank him for what he's done for us. And, and that's what we see here. When the, when the lamb takes the scroll, the, the four living creatures who remember from last week, they represent all of creation. And, and the 24 elders representing the church all throughout the ages... They fall down before the Lamb and they sing, verse 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. It's a beautiful picture, all of creation, all of God's redeemed people, They fall down before Jesus and they worship him. By the way, if there's any this morning who don't think Jesus Christ is God, if there's any of you watching online and you don't think Jesus is God, this is a very powerful indicator that Jesus is no mere human being. Nowhere in the Bible does God sanction the worship of any creature? Jesus Christ is God. And as such, he is worthy of our worship, and that's what we see here. This massive choir sings praise to Christ for his glorious work of redemption, for dying for us, for redeeming us, for giving us purpose, for giving us life, for, for making us a kingdom and priest to our God. Jesus didn't come to just make us savable so that now the ball's in our court and we have to do something. 
He came and by his blood, he actually accomplished our redemption. And we are simply called to believe in him. I find great comfort in that. I can can rest in the finished work of Jesus for me. I would encourage all of us to to know that, that we have a Savior who says, come to me and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, come to me, and now you need to do your part to to keep in my favor. Come to me, and I will give you rest. And now, as, as part of his kingdom, as priest to God, it's our privilege to serve him. It's our privilege, Romans 12, to to offer our bodies, our entire lives as living sacrifices to the one who has saved us. This dovetails with what I read earlier from 1 Corinthians 12. It's it's now our privilege to serve. It's our privilege to get involved. It's our privilege to be part of the body of Christ. Verse 9 tells us that they they sing a new song. A new song is a a song that is sung in response to God's great deliverance, God's great work of redemption. Philip Hughes, who is a Bible commentator, says, this is a song that will never grow old because the wonder and joy of our salvation will never fade. I love that. The wonder and joy of our salvation never grows old. It never fades. We never tire of singing praise to God for the work of Jesus. And now the choir gets bigger. Verse 11 tells us that that along with all of creation and all of God's redeemed people, thousands and thousands of angels join in. Children, can you imagine that? All of creation, all of the church, and thousands and thousands of angels are singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then there is this great crescendo in verse 13. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. All creation gives praise to God and to the Lamb. One day, every single person who has ever lived will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will either be willingly in this life or by force later, but everyone will confess it. Everyone will confess that one day. And so I again urge you to run to Christ to to find in him the perfect Savior, take all of your sins to him, all of your guilt to him, and he will wash it all away. I said to you earlier that the Bible doesn't give us a glimpse into heaven to merely satisfy our curiosity. 
This is given to you, Christian, to strengthen your faith. You're going to go out tomorrow into a world that in many senses is opposed to you. You're going to go out into a world that in many respects does not believe at all what you believe. You're going to go out into a world and and you are going to face the triple enemy of the world, the flesh, your sinful nature, and the devil. And, And I want you to go out into this world with strength and with comfort and with assurance. And so I don't preach revelation to you so that you can say, oh, that's really cool. Now I know what all the symbols mean. That's good and fine, but I preach this to you so that you will be strengthened to live the Christian life, that you will be comforted. And, and so I want to speak for just the end of our sermon to a number of different things that you may or will or are facing. First of all, do you ever struggle with the assurance of your salvation? Do you ever think to yourself, would God really save someone like me? Revelation 5 tells us that Jesus shed his blood to redeem everyone who would place their faith in him. If you are trusting Jesus Christ you are saved. That's what the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This picture of the lamb is given to you and to me so that we would know Jesus actually died to save me. Number two, are you ever mocked or laughed at because you're a Christian? Revelation 5 tells us That a day is coming when all wrongs will be made right and evil and mockery and persecution will be no more. Keep your eye on that day. Number three, are you mourning the loss of a loved one? That doesn't mean did, did someone die last week? There are those in this room who lost someone 10 years ago and you are mourning. Do do you ever find yourself overcome with grief? Overcome with sadness? Revelation 5 tells us that there will one day be a happy, happy reunion. You will see your believing loved ones one day number four do you ever find yourself drawn to the things of this world more than you know you ought to be all of us struggle with that in a sense right struggle with worldliness struggle with being squeezed into the mold of this world revelation 5 tells us that there is a better world to come Not a world of of fading trinkets. Not a world of temporary pleasures. 
But brothers and sisters, there is coming a day when there will be a world for us of eternal joy and eternal peace, a world where we will worship our beautiful Savior Jesus forever and ever. Keep your eyes and your heart fixed on that day. Number five, do you ever struggle with anxiety or fear? You know, there are Christians, unfortunately, who say, oh, if you're a Christian, you should never be anxious. You should never be depressed. That's a sign that you're just not a good Christian. That's baloney. We do struggle with anxiety and fear. This vision teaches us that we can rest in the great truth that God is on his throne. And as fearful and as anxious as we may be, he is directing all things to their appointed end. And he will accomplish his perfect will in your life and in my life. And finally, number six. Do you ever feel like you're in the minority? You ever go out into this world and you go, man, not a lot of people think like me. Do you look at this world and it, it, it just seems to be going from bad to worse every day? Revelation 5 gives us a glimpse into heaven so that we will see that we are far from being a minority. Around the throne, there is the church of Jesus Christ. It's made up from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. All over the world, God is drawing his people to himself. And around that same throne, there are myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angels. All of them giving praise and glory and blessing to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Again, brothers and sisters, these chapters are not given to us to just satisfy some curiosity you have about heaven. They're given you to remind you what is really true. And what is really true is that God is on his throne, all around him is calm, and all of creation and all of believers are there, and they are worshiping God for who he is. He is holy and eternal and all-powerful, and they are giving glory to the one who is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals and to redeem his people through his blood. Worthy is the Lamb. Some of you are familiar with a, a song written by Chris Tomlin. It came out a few years ago. It's, uh, it's entitled, Is He Worthy? Beautiful song, and, and here are part of the lyrics. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave, he was David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. He is worthy. He's mighty to save you. 
and he is worthy of all of our praise and glory and adoration for what a savior you and I have. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this vision that you have given to us. Lord, it is given to us to comfort us, to strengthen us, so that we would know what is really true. Lord, impress the truths of your word upon our hearts and our lives so that we may go into tomorrow and the week to come to faithfully serve you as your people. We thank you for the one who is worthy and who has redeemed us from all of our 